0: Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh with Mike Carlino. Mike, how are you doing? Doing really well. How are you? I'm very good. And I'm, I'm half inclined to... We've had conversations recorded and we've had conversations unrecorded. And mm-hmm. and we emailed periodically about how much we appreciate learning from each other and sharing with each other. And also, you've been doing something... I guess it was a month that we said, but then things came up and it's a little bit longer than a month.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I'm going to start with that one, if you don't mind. Yeah. So you, you committed to something and can you remind us what was... The the meaning the the memories that what prompted it and what did you say you were going to do?
1: Yeah, so I have uh, switched and from a smartphone I've been using an iPhone for I don't know five seven years now and uh, switched back to not a dumb phone it is it's a it's a company called uh, I think it's Wise Phone if I remember and a group called TechList what they've done is they've kind of taken an Android phone and removed all the glitz and glamour and, and and things. And it basically looks like a, an old school Kindle where you have the white screen, very basic font, and that's it. No internet. There's there's a map uh, set up, which was important for me. I didn't want to lose maps since I, that's how I get around places now. Uh, but uh, it's very minimalistic. And I, I've been more and more inclined to digital minimalism, the more I've looked into it because of the effects that are phones have on us. That's something maybe we could talk about uh, a little more today. But personally, the reason I wanted to get rid of the smartphone was very much due to a conversation uh, my wife and I had about maybe three or four months ago now where she pointed out that she could tell when I was in conversation with a group of people. As soon as I was disinterested with that conversation, I would start reading articles and things on my phone. And we were reflecting on how how that's really selfish and not helpful to other people. And it actually shows, I would argue, a disinterest in others. And as soon as I don't find them stimulating in some way to me, then I just zone out. And so we talked about that. And I think, and I'm grateful she confronted that and pointed it out. And uh, so the way that I wanted to go about dealing with it was just learning to wean myself of the smartphone. And uh, so I got this phone now where it's super simple. I I now, uh, I'm probably the last three weeks, I'm averaging less than 20 minutes a day on my phone, which... Uh,
0: before you start talking about it, I, sorry to interrupt. I want to ask something. You'd had this in mind because of the conversation and the observations with your wife. Do you remember in our conversation, I would have asked you, what does the environment mean to you? And, and do you remember what came up in that?
1: Yeah. Related to uh, actually enjoying it and taking it in. Is that what I'm trying to remember? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to yeah, go over that. So with the smartphone, and, and this actually ties in that her and I, uh, my wife and I, we were at uh, the beach a, about a month and a half ago. We were on vacation, and you know I remember I looked around, and it, it's amazing. You have people, you know, at a beach. How many of them are sitting, you know, on their chair or in their phone still? And 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 you're just thinking, mm-hmm. and you know, you and I have discussed that it, in all likelihood, they could be looking at other beaches, you know, or looking at like, oh well, what's yeah. this? Wishing yeah, they were water. there. It must be better because I'm looking at that one while I'm here. Right, it's like this really weird FOMO we have, where even where we're still fearing missing out on things, even when we are enjoying the real thing, and uh, and so that's 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 a just a cultural analysis, and even more uh, probably more personal, it's just a human analysis. We are far too easily bored, and our phones have become just a, a form of you know constant stimuli to the point where it's so you know, warps how our minds and, you know, the dopamine hit of looking at the screen and being drawn to it and finding identity and purpose and people liking your things on it. Like all these things are tied into our phones to such a way and to such an extent that we are actively turning away from the goodness of creation. As a, as a Christian, I believe, you know, this world is made by God and it declares his glory. And I want to enjoy that even more so to, to make it even more, succinct to the point, you know, I started by saying how my wife said I was disconnected from other people. Well, I believe as a Christian, these people are made in the image of God. They're inherently sacred because they're made by God. And I'm more interested in a phone in that moment or interested in other in articles than this person who I believe is reflecting God to me in that in in that room that I'm sitting across from and I'd rather look into a screen instead. So so there's some deep disconnect that happens in my Soul and my heart, as that's happening, and so that those things kind of compelled to want to to uh, yeah get get rid of it instead of trying to find filters and things to block it. I'm like I, you know, at the end of the day, as I thought about like how many, it's amazing how much money people now spend on their phones to keep them from using their phone. We do that. Like we have to actually, we buy a phone which is already ridiculously expensive, and they make it to be, you know, with obsolescence in mind. So in two years, you need to get the update. Which again, you talk about sustainability. I I can't, I can't fathom how much smartphone, like the the amount of production it takes, embedded carbon, Yeah, yeah, all those things. It's crazy. But then beyond that, you talk about how people are so wired to you know. Not only do we need the updated phone. But then we realize that this phone has so drawn us in that we are now paying more money for ways to block us from having access to this very thing that we've already paid money for instead of just thinking, well, maybe we don't need it. So those are things that um, were kind of big picture behind uh, why I've been thinking about more digital minimalism and not in a way where I do think that there's a real goodness to phones. I think of the way that people that that we have connections with people. I can actually talk with the other night. Um, I was talking with my mother and our um, some of our in laws uh, on the phone. And it was great. Like I can actually see their faces. And you know, right right now we're recording this, and I can see yours. And, and this is it. Actually enhances communication in some ways. Um, So there's such goodness to this. But there is a deep problem, and all of us know it. But I don't know how many are dealing with it. And as someone who wants to be a a pastor and counsel people and wants to see people not addicted to anything to be free to live their lives, I want to be exemplary in this area. I want to practice what I'm going to be preaching. And so this is a simple uh, solution to that. Just get rid of the phone and find a way to live to live without it. And so there are some inconveniences. I'm happy to maybe discuss some of those things that I've already experienced. Like one of the, we, we had a scheduled meeting the other uh, two weeks ago that I completely forgotten about because I didn't have my phone reminding me. Uh, And so, you know, there's, there's some things that I've had to, I've had to rethink how I do my scheduling and my, my planning now, because so much of it was just built into my phone. But I think it's actually a good thing for me. I've so much of my life was in this, this phone that it's been good to disconnect and rethink how I'm scheduling, planning, and arranging my life. So yeah, so let's hear, there's so many things I want to connect on, but I, now I want to hear what happened. So how did it go? You said 20 minutes, I guess, tracks the time? So I'm just going off of how much, how many texts. So I've been, I did an average of this the other day because I knew we'd be talking and I wanted to know, because uh, I think when we talked last, I'd said how in my iPhone, when you have an iPhone on every Sunday morning it would tell me this is your screen time. And, uh, usually it was in the, if I remember correctly, between three hours and 45 minutes and five hours a day is what it would say. Now, some of that is a lot of that is article reading. Others of it is probably texting. I And some of it's just idle time. Like, I don't know how much is much, but that's, I mean, you're talking three goes into 24, eight times. You're talking an, at least an eighth of every day is spent looking at this device, which is a huge part of my day. And so now I went back and I would look at how many texts I sent and think about how long it takes to send each text. And basically, because I don't look at my phone for any other reason now, like, because there's no reason, there's nothing to look at. So uh, so I've enjoyed that. And probably I would say anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes tops a day. Like, And some days a lot less than that. So yeah, that's been a huge improvement in terms of just more time talking with people. I, and, and just also... I mentioned how it started with my wife bringing this up. Well, uh, last week, I think it was we went out on a date and we were talking and, uh, she thanked me for, she said she's noticed a difference in how I'm paying attention to her and others in communication. And especially like even things where when you're, we'd be watching a show together or something in the evening and I would be wanting to, you know, be on my phone instead. And to her, it's like, well, do you not want to be with me like, and, and, and not focus on this? And, and that, that. those things are significant. And so it's been in, enjoyable these past couple of weeks to be present where I'm at instead of you know in another world and only physically in the room. So
0: The way you're talking sounds a lot like when I talk about not flying and everyone's like, oh, I couldn't get, get by without it. And I think a lot of people say, oh, I couldn't get by without my phone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Were you the type who might have said before this, the conversation with your wife, which preceded our conversation? Mm-hmm. Might you have said? Would you have said you could get by without your phone, or would you? How might you have thought about it then?
1: Yeah, I would have been quick to say. I don't know if I would have outright said I can't live without my phone. I think I would have been very reticent, though. Apart from my wife calling out the, the blunders, and even thinking, like, and, convert, and conversing with you, just thinking through ways I can improve, I would have been very hesitant, though, at absolutely, to give to the phone because as I mentioned, like my calendar is built into that. I, I work as a, I grade for students at school. So one of the things that's nice, one of the things I've lost is, uh, and this might be a good thing actually in the long run is I've lost the ability to, when I'm on the move, like if I'm sitting down at a restaurant and, we're, and 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 I'm alone for a moment or if I'm, I find free time in the day or whatever, I would oftentimes hop on and maybe look through a student's paper to start making grading marks because I had the school grading app in my phone. So it was kind of convenient where I felt like I could just do that all the time. But but the thing I've noticed is I was also constantly disconnected. And as, as science has demonstrated, there's a lot of research on this that multitasking is not something humans do. It, we don't actually multi... You can never do something 100% And you can't do two things, 100%. You're going to do 50, 50, 75, 25. You know, you can't do both efficiently. It's one, you're going to do something less effective, less efficient. And, and so what I found is this has forced me to, in my day, set stricter and more disciplined schedules, which I really have liked. I I mean, I, so my day is now I, I work as a a warehouse manager and pricing uh, consultant on throughout the day, about five, six hours a day in the morning. So I get done with that. I get home. I have lunch, spend time with my wife. Then I will uh, hop on, uh, do some grading for a little while. Then I'll usually have an afternoon class that I go to at Southern, get back from that. And then I have to uh, have some small segments to do some more grading and things like that. So like, it's actually forced me to be more uh, intentional and specific as opposed to just I think a lot of ways my smartphone allowed me to be lazy because I didn't have to really plan. I could just do it on the fly. And now if I don't, it won't get done. And I think it's actually healthy because it's forcing me to actually own my schedule and not be owned by a device that's kind of setting the tone for me and allowing me to be lazy and just fill in the gaps in other areas.
0: My hunch is that, and I have a bias here because of what I, well, is that you're actually, I bet you're more productive now, even if you don't have, even if you you feel...
1: You probably felt more productive then and you probably are more productive now. Oh, I totally agree. I've already noticed how when I'm writing now. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, so I had a month of the, the, we started the fall semester for my classes about a month and a half ago. And I had a couple of weeks of having my smartphone and other things. And now that I've not had it and I've had to plan out my day a little differently, uh, what's interesting is. I really dig into that time that I have for writing because I know that's all I'm going to get. Or, you know, it, it has actually kind of changed in that I've started, and this isn't just because of the smartphone, this is discipline in other areas. I think objectively, we talked about this before, but you, you actually gain freedom through self-discipline, which is it's counterintuitive to our thinking. A lot of times we think, oh no, I, freedom is licensed to do whatever the heck I want, whenever I want to do it. Yeah, that's chaos. Yeah, that's yeah exactly, and I I think freedom is had true freedom in the sense where it's um, pleasant and virtuous and good for society and yourself in general is going to be is going to look responsible. It's going to look mature. It's going to look controlled. And um, you know we've talked about it before, but I, I think it's you know worth mentioning things like when you see Seth Curry in basketball draining thirty foot threes like. On a, on a dime and just looks so free and flowing and, and almost effortless. Well, it isn't effortless. It is the result of rigid practice where that, you know, it's, it's recorded how much of his day is spent shooting shots over and over and over again. Like that's how he looks effortless. So the best athletes, the best musicians, the best, whatever's if you are taking their sport, when it looks effortless, it's, it's the result of extreme effort. And, uh, and in the same way, I do think there's a bit of a pain point now because I'm having to re- reset things, but I think in a couple months to a year, you know, if I, I do have every intention of keeping this going, I think if you're actually present doing 100% focus on what you're doing in that moment, I will do all, all the things I'm supposed to be doing better. And instead of doing a couple of things, you know, throughout the day, randomly, not as well. And then what it leads to, what's interesting is I think about how when I used to just do all things kind of together throughout the day, is you're kind of presuming that you're going to have time later to fix things. And we just think objectively about how how selfish and presumptuous that is. I don't know if I have tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to have time to do that again. And uh, so I, I don't want to live my life just assuming that, I'm to, that everything's going to work out. I want to actually be disciplined with my time and controlling it. So...
0: You're talking about, uh, Curry reminds me of what I sometimes describe as my favorite video on the internet. It's, and I'm sure we've all seen LeBron James play and he does what he does is magic, right? These 360, Mm -hmm. like crazy moves. Yeah. My favorite was in, in the finals, I think he's dribbling down the court. He jumps up intending to pass it to a teammate, but in the time he jumps up, the teammate gets covered. So Mm -hmm. he's in the air. He's dribbled. So he, he he can't land Mm -hmm. and he's got four covered teammates. What does he do? He throws the ball at the backboard, catches his own rebound, and then dunks it.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
0: all of the, the quotes the next day are like, that's what you do, like high school. No one does that in the finals. Mm-hmm. So how does he do this? This video is the answer. This video is an hour-long video of him with his trainer practicing. And what are they practicing? They're practicing jump shots or practicing a little stretching. It's it's probably the most boring video on the internet because there's an hour of that. But that's what he practices. Mm-hmm. You can't practice. You jump up in the air, your guy got covered, and now what do you do with this split second? You practice the basics, you put in the effort, and in, that's how you form the skills. Mm-hmm. But if you try to practice the, the razzle-dazzle, then you don't get the razzle-dazzle. You, nope. And those people who have the patience, you know, if, if you just want to go through life and just, uh, you know, grasp at shiny objects, okay, that's your your prerogative. But that's not particularly meaningful. And, and what do you offer to people around you if, if you're purely reacting to whatever is the shiniest thing around you? And you mentioned fear of missing out, FOMO. Have you, you've come across the term JOMO or joy of missing out? Uh, no,
1: I have not. That's,
0: yeah, I mean, I, you, there I it is right the there. Yeah, yeah, it's missing out. It's like, not just, oh, I'm missing out, but
1: yeah, I'm doing my thing. Yeah, and I think I think uh, the reason that's helpful to have a category of that in mind is uh, what the danger of... of FOMO, which the term can be annoying because people, I think, misuse it use it all the time um, as well, and they use that as an excuse when, when really they're being nosy. Like there's just there's some things that I have no claim to in other people's lives, and mm-hmm. I shouldn't want to be involved because it's not my business. But beyond that, I, I would want to say that the da- real danger with uh, being always fearful of missing out is that you're you're actually showing that you don't really grasp your finitude, that you don't really grasp your limited. You know, you're you're a body. You're you're, and I believe you're. You know, humans are a body and a soul. We have very limited relationships. I can't fix every world problem. I can't fix every world thing, but I ought to focus on those directly around me. I think, and and this is very biblical principle. Jesus tells the story of uh, the good uh, Samaritan. He asks the question to all these religious leaders in his day, the the Pharisees. He asked this question. He, well, he's asked the question by the Pharisees. Well, how do we know who our neighbor is? Because God says that we're to love you know, one of the commandments, the greatest commandment in the Bible is to love God and love others. It's, it's a two part of one commandment. And, uh, Jesus's response when they, cause these guys are trying to get off the hook though. They're trying to say, well, how do I know who my neighbor is? Like that could be a, a nebulous term. And Jesus tells a story of this guy who's beat up and left to die in the street and how a religious person and, um, and a scribe or maybe a lawyer, you would say both walk past him. But this Samaritan in the story, which, in, their, in the Jewish context, the Samaritans were considered basically half-breeds and were not liked at all. In our day, it might be, you know, think of how some people were treating maybe um, Muslims after 2001 uh, with the, the trade centers. They were kind of, it would have been like GSA. illegal immigrants or. Yeah, exactly. Like someone that might be culturally unwanted or, or unaccepted at that time. And Jesus said, uses that person and says, well, this Samaritan, this third person walks by, sees that this man is injured and helps him. Puts him on his donkey, takes him back to an inn takes care of him and gives the innkeeper money and says anything that he needs is on my account. I'm going to cover it. You take, make sure he's provided for. And Jesus says, that's your neighbor. And so this, the, what Jesus is getting on that story. And I think it's a Christian principle, but also, I think it, if our culture would do a better job with this, it would change the world. I think mm-hmm. is if we would actually focus on the needs directly in our communities, instead of so many of us are pontificating, virtue signaling about all the problems in the world, like even things like you get into more of the controversial issues, whether it be George Floyd or issues of starvation in other countries. And it's like sometimes we get so focused on things that like for, for me, we're so outside of my community in general that it's like it's one thing to have an opinion on it. It's another thing if all of our time and resources are spent on such broad things that we're not actually taking care of the people directly near us. And so like I, I try to think very much with this tie- tying it back with the smartphone thing and all that is to say that if you are unable to meet the needs and are unaware of what is happening directly in your own local community and don't actually have true relationships where you're taking care of people right around you, then I don't care what you think of the world's or how you think you're going to fix them because you need to show me that you actually have skin in the game before I'm interested in hearing You know, you pontificate about fixing the world's problems. So it sounds simple, but it is, I think, in our day, a revolutionary paradigm to say, what if we actually focused on our neighbor, those around us, took care of them? Like, for example, with the horror that's happening in Afghanistan and in Louisville here in the next month or so, we're expecting a lot of refugees coming in from Afghanistan. And and so I'm in, you know, I know that some of our local churches, we're all talking about ways to strategize, to open up some apartment complexes, figure out ways to bring them in and make sure these people have a place to go when they get here. And like, those are ways I want to take, like in that, when they were in Afghanistan, I couldn't do as much, but once they come here, they're my neighbor. How do I deal with that then? Like, and so that, that is something that I want, to see more emphasized. And I believe that we would see a lot more actual change happening as opposed to just, you know, my, you know, aimless words spoken into the air that don't really have any substance to them. Yeah. There's a
0: change that I've, I'm starting to work through this podcast used to be called leadership in the environment. And I've been focusing, I've been saying what we need is leadership. Like there's a lot of facts and figures, there's education, there's science, incredibly important. And there's people trying to legislate. I think these things are important assuming it goes through democratic, fair process. Mm -hmm. And I've been saying we need leadership. We need people to role models and images and stories and things like that. Now, it hit me that leaders, a lot of people perceive leadership as like sticking your neck out and it takes a lot of work to lead. And so on on my blackboard behind me, I don't know if you can see it. I mean, it still says up at the top, systemic change begins with personal transformation. But now I'm thinking of switching from leadership to teamwork. It's difficult to, when you say teamwork, it's weird to be on a team and say what I do doesn't matter. Because every everyone matters. Even the bench player matters. And but it doesn't require to stick your neck out so much. And it's you can't be it's it's hard to be a, a teammate if you don't join the team. You don't join a team by talking about something you read somewhere. You're gonna join the team. Yep. And that doesn't mean you're gonna be you could choose to be a team leader and and put everything in to be a great player, an outstanding and it sports I'm saying sports, but it could be playing in a band or it could be uh, doing a play in drama or business or the military, you know, teams everywhere, uh, family. Actually I did a podcast post on this the other day. It'll be months ago by the time this gets up, but and I didn't quote you, but I talked about you because you talked about wanting to be a pastor in a community where a pastor plays a role. A butcher plays a role. A school teacher plays a role. Everyone plays their role and the team, the community works. Mm-hmm. Stick a big box store in there that does all of those things, and but takes away the connection. Mm-hmm. There's no it's just transactional. It's not teamwork.
1: And now you've you've got that community. Yep. No, I totally agree. And I and I think I think this is probably a good thing developmentally in our uh, thinking on these matters. Um, I even when I am trying to th- trying to remember now. So I went to Bible college around 2010, and in that time, uh, one of the things that's kind of can be frustrating times about evangelicalism is that we tend to be about 10 years behind the discussions that are going other places. So this would have been early two thousands if it was in the world. And they were, there's a lot of discussion about leadership, gurus, all these things, like everyone's about everyone's, I would hear things like we're, we're all leaders. And I hated that. It's like, no, if everyone's a leader then no one's a leader and it doesn't mean anything. And so I think you're right. The teamwork is, is, is a way to look at it, but, but more than that, to be specific, an acceptance of your role, and I would say from a Christian worldview, an acceptance of your role as assigned by God and how that ties in with other people, when you, when you embrace that and you live in, in um, when you enjoy that role, when you pursue that and make that your end, that you're going to do what you were called to do well, then the actually all those around you can flourish. Like I think of you know, just a, a silly example that makes sense of this is trying to think of a kicker in football demanding to be the left tackle like that's not gonna work like <laughs> uh-huh. you know you can he might think that well that's that's the leader like that's where the big money has been the last couple of years left tackles are all the rage because they're protecting the blind side of the quarterback i really want to be the protector of my quarterback well have fun stopping then you know the 300 pound defensive end that's coming out you and you're a 160 pound kicker it, it, like and so i think in our culture we have a lot of people who are should be kickers and would be great kickers but are trying to be tackles. And it does not work. And I think if we, if you embrace the role that God has given you and in a good way, stay in your lane and not just stay in your lane, but excel in your lane, then you will be fulfilled and those around you will be, to use Christian vernacular, blessed. Like we look at that in the church. So, in, in our local church, we often talk about how, in the book of First Corinthians, the apostle Paul uses the language of a body. He says that the church is Christ's body, and he says that the foot can't say to the eye, "I have no need of you." In the body, like that, that wouldn't work. To be a human, to be you know embodied, requires that. And Paul says similarly, some of you will be called to be the preacher in the church; others may be called to be in service in the church in a way that's more behind the scenes. But each of you are playing this unique role that if, if one of you doesn't do that, the church is missing a key component. And I, I think that, that analogy broadly when you it could be applied in some ways to culture. We can't be saying to each other, well, I feel like as the mouth, I'm the the strong part and I don't have no need of the hand or no need of anything else. Like when you understand the role that you play and you and you do it well, the whole body does well. And I think, and similarly on a negative end, If I break my ankle, for example, I might have a terrible headache, even a fever potentially if I break it bad enough. I can't move the rest of the day to the point where if I can't, and if I can't walk, my eye doesn't do all that great in terms of getting its thing done throughout the day either, like if I can't go anywhere. And so it's just, it's amazing how when something is broken in society, if, if, if someone's not living up to their role, then everyone suffers, not just that one thing. To clarify, you're
0: not saying, I don't think you're saying. If you're born poor, you have to stay poor. If you're born oppressed, you have to stay oppressed.
1: No, not at all. There are um, avenues uh, to get out. And I believe. I mean, I'm a conservative and I'm I am capitalist. I believe that's one of the good things that we can learn from capitalism is people working out of situations. No, and so I'm not saying necessarily someone that's poor in society must must always stay poor. I'm saying that rather there are people who are going to be gifted and maybe just take personalities uh, for example. Some people. Are going to be more introverted versus extroverted, or some people are going to be far more skilled at math than they are at art. And rather than so emphasize the one thing we're good at to the neglect of the thing you're not, seeing how those things can tie together and be used for the betterment of society is a far better way to go about things. Because I see a lot of that. It's like if I, you know, you almost have this view that if I'm not good at this thing, then you begin to denigrate it. Or And you emphasize the strength that you see, as opposed to seeing that uh, various skills, various giftings, uh, when used well, are good for everyone. I want to get back to the phones now. Yeah.
0: Something I've often said, kind of jokingly, and I would say Aristotle, Buddha, they would talk about how to live a good life. And I would often joke, if they were alive today, you know, they figured out how to be happy, how to live a good life mm-hmm. for themselves. If they were alive today, would they say, I thought I knew how to live a good life, but what I, I was missing an iPhone. Now I can have a good life. Right. I suspect that they would probably, I suspect that they would probably say, oh, another distraction, still yes. the same things would create a good life.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I wonder what would Jesus do with an iPhone? What would, like, would Paul use social media to spread the word more? I, I'm curious, what would, how does it look from your perspective?
1: Yeah, I, that's a great question. I don't see phones or technology as inherently sinful. So I do believe that now I wouldn't be surprised at all if Paul had a Twitter account and, <laughs> and was, was sharing things. But uh, the Bible is clear of a couple things that I would say we have to watch for that are inherent to our social media and technology crazy world. Um, some of them being vanity. For example, I think on, on social media, so much of the time we spend our our, our days endlessly scrolling and being envious of other people we see you know whether we think we whether we wish we looked like them whether we wish they had the partner they had whether we wish we had the money they had to go on the vacations they're on so much of it is just like this envy factory that can happen and it becomes vain or you think you're the one that has it all together so you're constantly sharing things so people are jealous of you so obviously paul and and jesus wouldn't be doing things like that they'd be looking to share the good news but yeah i i don't think you know, Jesus, for example, what was, um, memorizing the whole Old Testament in his day because that's what the young, young Jewish children were doing in those days. Like it's, it's incredible how much they would memorize things. And so in many ways, you know, Jesus, it says in, um, Matthew chapter two, I believe it is, it says that he grew in wisdom and stature among men and, and God. And in other words, he was growing up in the culture he grew up in and was, Growing with the other boys and and hitting the marks they were doing, so I do think there's a a argument you can make to say that they'd probably use phones. But as Christians believe, Jesus was sinless, so he would not have been doing some of the ridiculous things that we've seen people doing on their on their phones. So,
0: as an aside, now you quote scripture so much, and it keeps
1: hitting me like I know that phrase. I didn't know that was from the Bible. Yeah, you know, it's it's fascinating actually. There's a couple of really good articles on this that that you can look up too, that uh, the King James, especially uh, the King James Bible set the standard for the English language uh, when it came out in uh, 1631, it was, that is really kind of foundational and set the tone because so much of uh, England's culture, a lot of the English common law is built on books like Deuteronomy and a lot of Shakespeare and other things like that are picking up. On, on things like that, so it's really fascinating that um, when you see the development of scripture, a lot of the phrases that we use today are in the Bible, like even things you you mentioned how what would Aristotle say the phrase There's nothing new under the sun which you you may have heard that's mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes in the scriptures, so it's you know thousands of years old in that book so
0: now my ignorance is going to show I presume that there was a king James and did he i presume I just kind of figured. Some king probably hired a bunch of really smart poets and, and translators
1: to write it. Is that what happened? I, I assume it was a big team. Essentially, yeah. So in, uh, in the late 16, or in the 1620s, I believe it was, that happened. So interestingly, in the 16th century, so this would have been the uh, 1500s, a man named William Tyndale did the first English translation. But he was not allowed to, because in that day, the Roman Catholic Church was exclusively doing Latin. And they had so they had the uh, their vernacular was in that, and what a lot of the reformers. So I mentioned how I'm part of the Protestant Reformation. Reformers wanted the common man to be able to read the Bible in their own tongue, but a lot of the Catholics were fearful of this because they believed that the lay people would profane it, and they also it took away some of their power potentially. So there's a there's a stranglehold to not see. Normal, uh, common translations being done. So Tyndale was actually burned to death at the stake for translating the English Bible in the in the 16th century. And then, but interestingly, when King James comes along, uh, I don't know somewhere. I think it's between 40 and 60 years later. The culture began to change to where people actually wanted to have an English Bible, and they were like, "Well, we need to have a standard, though. We can't have any translation saying anything at once. They wanted a standard translation built on the original." Writings of Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek that the Bible was written in. And so King James was very full of himself and wanted to have his name forever, you know, remembered. And he did. He put together a team of top notch translators. And it is amazing. So if you take, for example, I, I often use the English Standard Version, and that version is 90 some percent of it of the phraseology is in line with what even William Tyndale did back in the, in the uh, 16th century. And, the, and it's even more of a percentage in line with the King James. So it's amazing how much that, that work has really been foundational for so many other Bible translations since then.
0: Back again to the, so I appreciate your uh, learning that. Mm-hmm. So back to the, your experience with the, the month with the phone you just got what happened. And I'm curious also, what was the emotional experience of it? Was it, uh, and not just in the moment of using the phone or not using the phone, mm-hmm. but from when you were, I guess, even back when you're talking with your wife about it before talking to me, then when you talked to me about it and when you planned it, when it started implementing it up until now.
1: So there's a couple of things that led to deciding to go forward with it emotionally speaking. There was a lot of logic. And, and, and for a while now, I've been thinking about the effects of technology. So there's a great book written by a a Christian, his name is Tony Reinke. It's called 12 Ways Your Phone, Your iPhone Is Changing You. And it's a great book on the the ways that phones are built to change us by marketers and how we are all affected by in ways we don't even understand. We just are kind of experiments in that in that way. And um, so that book a couple of years ago when I read it began turning me this way. But again, I mentioned earlier, I would have been hesitant to get rid of it, even knowing those things until my wife brought this up and talking with you. And the emotion that came in a line with that was I mentioned how I, I started realizing how pitiful it is of me to be around people who are made in the image of God and deserve my attention. And I should find, I really, and no matter who it is, I ought to find people interested. I want to be a pastor. I want to love people and shepherd them and guide them. That's one of my, that's one of the callings of a pastor is to be involved in this, people's life and know what's going on. And if I'm just, you know, if I'm living my life in, in such a way where I'm, I'm thinking, well if you don't interest me I'm out, that's hate. That's despicable. That's not okay. And so the emotions were strong in that it was a lot of regret because I realized, you know, when my wife said that I was like, yeah, I've been sinning against God and other people by doing this. My my focus needs to change. So in scripture we talk of uh, there's a, the word repentance which talks uh, in Christian's view repentance as uh, turning is, is really a literal translation of the word where you turn away from what you've been doing and do something different. And I, so I needed to repent. I needed to turn from the selfish life I was living and do something better. And the other emotion I, and I already alluded to this as well, but it's worth saying in a different way is I, you know, I married Kylie. So we've been married for a year and a half now. And you know, I promised to give her my attention, my love, my devotion. And to think that I would allow something as stupid as a phone to get in between that at various times of our relationship is uh, really stupid. <laughs> like it's just, it's, it's really not okay. And and so things like that were, were at work, where there's there was both a regret and almost a shame of the things I've been, like the habits i would developed and not even realized that it was leaving, like that I was hurting other people unintentionally by it. But then to know that I was, in in some ways, being unfaithful in my marriage with it, those things both were strong pulls to to put it down. If you like the show, I recommend acting, as my guests do. It works
0: best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodekcom donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodekcom donate. I think when people are using the phone, say two people sit down to lunch and one of them gets out the phone. Now, you said you might have done it sometimes. Oh, you're not interesting. I'm going to turn away. I think a lot of times people are thinking, oh, I'm just going to check. I mean, it's designed. There's teams at all these places to figure out how to get someone on. Once they're on, how to get them to stay. Yep. So someone might not think, I'm going to, dis-. maybe you did at times say, I'm going to distance myself from this person. But maybe other times people think, I'm just going to check my email real quick. It'll just be t- 10 seconds. Yep. Half an hour later, it's still going. Two hours later, it's still going. And the, in their mind, they're not thinking, I'm pushing that person away. In their mind, they're thinking, they're not thinking about using a phone. They're thinking about the people at the other end of the phone. I mean, this would be somewhat generous to them because I think probably somewhere inside them, they're thinking they probably do have a sense of, mm, there's a, an actual human flesh and blood person right here. And this is what I'm doing on Instagram. is not quite the same thing. Yeah. And then also I'm curious if, if you were, maybe you're being a bit hard on yourself and, and but maybe not. And also if you were repenting, then there's the regret of the past times but then, then now you're spending more time with her. So I'm curious of those emotions. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So regarding the being too hard on myself uh, language, I have a tendency to do that. I want to be harder on myself than I am other people. But you are right. A lot of people would probably say something along the lines that they, uh, they would say, well, I didn't intend it to be that. Well, the thing is, if you are not paying attention and you, you know, run someone over with your vehicle... It still, it still would be considered vehicular man, manslaughter, whether you mean it or not. If you're intent, if you're missing out on others and not and not present with the people that are directly around you, well, your intentions don't uh, negate the effect. They don't take away what you're actually doing. And so, I think one of the one of the things is we there's a term that I'm really interested in, and it's media and moral ecology, like the effect that media and has on our morality and culture and how how it retrains us and if, just because everyone in culture it becomes enslaved to their phone for example or enslaved to the stimulus that it, that it offers doesn't ultimately matter to me how much the intent is, because what it's showing is our phones are made in this way and we've all given into it and that's not good. And so how do we, how do we fix that? So I wouldn't go, every person who's having an issue with their phone, I wouldn't say that I, you know, I know that without a shadow of a doubt that they just hate people or things like that, or that they're not interested in other people. But I think once you begin picking back the layers of what's going on with everyone's various addictions, you find you find areas where that is true because your interest is not with them. It's in distraction and you're disconnecting from the present reality around you to again, go into this hole and things that would have been, you know, it's interesting. Even 10 years ago, this, that was not acceptable, but it's completely acceptable now. Like I think of uh, back when I, I worked at McDonald's back in high in high school and I remember we had to come in and give our, phone to our manager and they would put it in a box in the office. You can't do that anymore. You can't like jobs are not like people walk on excels with people's phones. Like you can't touch their phone. Why? Because their whole life's on that. Their identities that. their information's in that. You can't take people's phones like that. It's just, it's amazing how as a, the change that has happened and we make these allowances because we've made the phone more important than it is. And so those are the, and, and we as a, we as users then get drawn into that. And whether we intend it or not, that's what's happening. And so we need to think about it and make changes.
0: When you talked about, you know, your intent, if your intent is, you know, oh, I'm paying attention to the people through the phone, but you're you're neglecting the person that's there. And I started thinking of a more clear cut case would be if I have a pet or I have plants Mm -hmm. and you know, I mean to feed the pet, but I don't get around to it. Or I mean to water the plants, but I don't get around to it. I'm gonna have a dead pet and dead plants. Where do we put our values? Mm -hmm. And of course, It's hard not to think if I don't water my plants, they're going to die. If I treat the earth that way, I mean, the earth doesn't, isn't, I don't need to water plants in Yellowstone. Right. But we do have to steward. Mm -hmm. We can't just pollute. And yeah, of course the phones, we just said the embedded carbon in them, for example, but there's also, you know, we think the the phones don't use that much power, but they're these huge processing plants Mm -hmm. that are, you know, when someone says net zero, that yeah. means creative accounting techniques were used, which I called fraud. Yep. I mean, it is not net zero. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... if someone wants to ask me why, you know, contact me. And, and, but net zero means not zero. I mean, and
1: yeah. So we're driving these farms. Net zero means look at me. I'm trying to be nice. You know, it's nothing but virtue singling. It has, yeah, it's substanceless. If only that, that would be nice. But it's, it
0: motivates more. It's like, it's trying, it's saying use more,
1: mm-hmm.
0: consume more. And when you talked about everything that you were saying about phones, I'm also connecting, you're talking about, you're switching back and forth between phone and addiction. Mm-hmm. And the addictions are sugar, fat, convenience. I get this one. Most people will not get what I'm about saying, but the travel of always wanting, like bucket list equals craving. And mm-hmm. what are some of the other addictions that we have out there? I have gambling, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. 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 And I don't differentiate. But like if I see, when I go to the park and I see the heroin users,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or I see the people who abuse Another drug that was refined out from plants, take all the fiber and nutrients out and you're left with sugar. And I see a mindset and a behavior that's the same. The, man, the physical manifestation looks slightly different and the missed potential of what they could have with their lives is, I mean, you described yourself, I think you described yourself as pitiful. And I certainly felt that way. And you know, I'm not there. People are like, oh, Josh, you're so good. No, I've gone some distance, but the distance I have to go is still much greater. Yeah. And I, jo- I enjoy the, the process. So it's not a struggle. It's, except to the extent that the struggle is, you know, I like to exercise. It's hard. And I like how it makes me feel.
1: Yeah, and I think what you're saying is key. And when you get to addictions at root, what they are from from a Christian perspective, an addiction is an idol. It's something that you are owned by that, you know, we are called as humans, uh, I believe as a Christian to live for God. One of the, there's a catechism, uh, an infamous catechism called the Westminster shorter catechism. And the first question is what is the duty of man or what is the purpose of man? And the answer to that question is to glorify and enjoy God forever. You know, we are, we are made, we believe as believers for that purpose that we are called to live and to glorify God with everything we say and do. And therefore, when we talk about things like addictions, addictions subvert because it actually flips the hierarchical order that God has created, where he's on top, then there's humanity, and then there's the world that he has made that we're given to steward and to, to take dominion over and to use well. But what happens so many times in addictions and, and in idolatry is that the created thing let's say, whether it be a phone, whether it be, uh, poll- whether it's things that lead to pollution, whether it's gambling, whatever it is, it's a created thing that we actually put above God and above us and it begins owning us. And so what, from a Christian perspective, the real danger is that what has happened is we've inverted the reality we were made for and it destroys us because that idol, that thing, cannot satisfy us and we will burn out our lives pursuing it to our to our detriment and it's you know everyone i think sees that for example if you go at the 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 normal understand like a drug addict when you just see them destroy their lives for it but we're a lot slower to (laughs) say that about our pet peeves you know whether it be our own phone or whether we're very much to be like well my struggles are a little cuter than everyone else's like everyone else's will kill them but mine's okay and no actually anything. That's what they say. Was, yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone says that. Every addict will say that. I'll quit and, soon enough. Yeah, I haven't hit rock bottom, so it's no problem. Right, exactly. And and that's the thing, you know, it, there's a verse in scripture, uh, I believe it's in the book of Second Peter, where we're told that anything that a person succumbs to or is dominated by, to that he is enslaved. And I believe that to be utterly true. Anything that is, the thing that is controlling us I believe is the thing that we are worshiping to use religious language. Like it's the thing we we're, we're ascribing worth to the word worship at its root just means worthiness. It's what you think is the best thing to be living for. And if you're owned by something, whatever, whatever that thing is that you're drawn to, like for me, you know, for in some ways, if I'm not watching myself, it could be my phone. If I'm owned by that and pulled by that, then I'm being dominated by it in such a way that my thinking is ascribing more worth to this thing than to god and so in order for me to be free in order for me to actually live a life that that is not under the tyranny of some created thing i need to live as though my life is for god and he sets the standards that i live by not these other things because those things i believe will fizzle out and leave me high and dry in the end just like the drug addict that you know again we see that there but we have a million other Addictions and things in our culture that we just we don't ascribe that same shame to, or the and uh, we should. I would guess that our distraction by these things enables
0: us to glorify God more. If you don't, under, if you don't have to work for it, what's what's the value? Is that how you would view? It? I mean, why create the possibility to get addicted? I would guess that the more that you can, the more that you find something worthy, the more that you value something, but something else is worth yet more. The more you realize what that thing that's worth the most is worth.
1: Yeah. So I believe in the Bible when God creates Adam and Eve, He he gives Adam a garden. He makes land and He tells him to, to name the animals. He tells him to begin building society in reality and doing all things to the glory of God. In other words, Adam is doing normal normal things in the sense of he's gardening, he's planting, he's doing he's doing work, but it's for because God has called him to it. And what what I'm getting at is that from from my understanding of reality, as a as a believer in Christ, when you live for just that thing, when you, when your life becomes that, it actually cuts. It actually all the joy gets spilled into that thing, and it wasn't built to bring about joy. It was meant to lead to God in such a way where you understand that this was given as a gift. And in some ways, it'd be like I'm trying to think of a good analogy to make sense of it. It'd be like uh, a parent gets a gift that they they know their child really wanted for Christmas. And the child is there enjoying that gift and the parents watching it, it brings delight, just like God gave us this world and tells us to, to take care of it, to take dominion of it, to uh, steward it well, all these things. What the danger is, is, as from a Christian worldview, is when sin comes into the picture and flips the hierarchical order so that we live as though God isn't real, as though he doesn't exist. And we begin going after the resources and not him in such a way that it actually cuts us off from the very purpose we were made for.
0: Now I had asked before, and um, I'm curious, post repentance, you're now spending more time and more quality with your wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are the emotions that are maybe rediscovering or recreating or creating a fresh
1: or house? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. one of the, So I, I do believe that um, you know, it's not that we aren't called to enjoy things. I We enjoy them beyond ourselves and they terminate in in the glory of God. And so I believe that God has called me very specifically. And this is there's verses in scripture that talk about how husbands are to um, live with their wives and understanding and to cherish them and, to, and and all these things. And when I'm doing that, I'm actually honoring and obeying God. And so the joy that I feel in that is directly resulting from the fact that I believe I'm being obedient to Him. Not just because it's something else I wanted to do as opposed to the phone. What, what my main r- rationale in moving away from the smartphone has been is because I believe I'm called to greater things than wasting my time on a smartphone. And I believe that that calling is directly from the scriptures from my God. And so the emotion that comes about when I'm spending more time with my wife and even hearing her say that she feels more loved and feels um, and has experienced more of my attention is that I know that I'm living the way that I need to be living, that I'm my priorities are in line, and so repentance is, it brings joy and it brings a clear conscience, so that I'm not living in the shame of uh, disordered desires that are that are bringing. Like we mentioned, true freedom is not the license to do whatever we want. It's not that my it's not like oh well I can just be on my phone anytime I want. It, no, like I, when I'm controlled, I'm living in freedom and the joy of that to know that I am actually in that moment not just a user, but that I am making decisions that are in line with uh, the truth that I believe uh, comes from God that I'm called to do. It's like in this moment, I ought not be on my phone, for example. I ought be having a conversation with my wife and seeing how her day has gone and pursuing pursuing that so that I can love her and, and see if there are ways that I can help her or see ways that I can serve her or, or those, those kind of things. Like that. that is where the joy is found is knowing that those are the things I'm called to by God. And those are things that are now that I can be obedient to instead of pursuing a lesser thing. Okay, so you've done this with the
0: phone. Are you thinking of, of taking the next step? Are there other things? I think you said earlier you're going to continue it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It would be weird if you had this conversation and said, you know what? N- now I'm going to go back to the phone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are <laughs> there next steps?
1: Yeah, uh, there, there's always going to be growth. Like uh, you, you had mentioned how you said there's always things to be improving on. Like it's not, you can't just say, well, I'm so good. I got this thing together. Uh, and that comes up in, in the book of Philippians, uh, the apostle Paul, he writes that, he says, not that I have attained it, but I'm, I'm striving forward until the day when he's thinking when Christ returns and he can be with, be with him in glory. And so my pursuit until I die or Christ returns, whichever comes first, I'm happy either way. <laughs> uh, my pursuit until that point though. Is going to be growth in, in any area that I see that I see the need of. And so I know, like, for example, in the Bible, in the book of Titus, there's a discussion of what older women are to do, what older men are to do, what younger women are to do, what younger men are to do. He kinda of has these breakdowns. And what's interesting is he has a couple things he commends and tells and tells the others that they are to do and not to do. But when he gets to the younger men, he says, teach them to be self-controlled. I think that's it's it's just if men in particular, I, I think, and I, I say this as a, a relatively younger man in my you know my late twenties, if we are able to control our faculties, then everything else in life becomes pretty easy. So much of our so many issues, and I know this because I counsel a lot of young guys. I work with uh youth all the way up through guys my age quite a bit, and uh it's just issues of self-control, I'm not being able to uh control their passions and um and that leads to so many issues in their life. And so it goes beyond just the smartphone for me. It goes into areas like even just thinking about my time management and ways that I can be distracted to do things that are secondary instead of priorities. Like I'm always thinking of that. Like what is in this moment, the thing that is most important to be doing? And am I doing that thing? Because it's interesting how we can oftentimes do the things that are not most important. And then we get tired out on them. So then we give ourselves a break. And sometimes I remember this distinctly in college. I knew I, you know, for example, I, I, I'd be like, I know I should be working on this big paper that's due next week, but I would do another lesser assignment and then I'd get tired. And then I would eat ice cream as a reward to myself because I was like, you know, I've earned this. I spent an hour doing it, but I really just didn't want to do that big paper. I want to do this other thing. And I think, we do that a lot in our lives where we're like, I know there's these, there are things that I should be doing, but you do the, you choose the lesser things you choose the secondary thing. And though you might be getting something done, you're actually not being productive. You feel you're getting something done, which yep. is not the same as getting something exactly. done. Exactly. And then you kind of reward yourself for it. And you really ought to feel some sense of remorse because you haven't done the thing you you should have been doing. And so it's kind of a bigger project than just the phone for me. It's just thinking, yeah, through my life a lot and going, okay, what what are the main things? And actually, here, here's where it gets difficult. And This is where life is complex and wisdom is tough. Is um, it's not the same every day. It's not like I can write down one. This is the most important thing. Two. This is the most important thing. Three. This is the most important thing. And that stays the same forever. You know, for example, if I have if I have a child someday, uh, which Kylie and I hope hope to, if we have children our priorities will change for a season and then they rightly change back. And so our scale needs to be constantly reevaluated and moving. And that means that we need to have wisdom. And I believe that's why i love the scriptures and why i love that there's an objectivity um that in them that i can sink into and trust to make all those priorities make sense then because that's where i think it gets really difficult in life if you don't have an ability to prioritize what needs to be done day by day then that's why you'll just kind of sit, fall into old habits and waste a lot of your time because you're living a relatively aimless day. And so that the bigger project, longer term, that's really what I'm thinking. Like, what are ways that I can be constantly growing in the area of discipline prior, making the right call in the moment, having, and really growing in this. It is a skill, the book of Proverbs in the Bible. I love it. It talks about, oh, it, it defines wisdom as skillful living. I think that's true. Like when you, When you're a wise person, I think of the wisest people I know. There's some older uh, men from my home church that I thought were just really wise men. And the thing I loved about them is they, it seemed like anytime important decisions needed to be made, they were the ones that people would turn to because they know in that moment they're going to make the right call. And wisdom is skill. And and that's the skill I want to grow in. So that's really what my focus is, honestly, probably for the next 10, 15, 20 years until I'm, you know, become the older guy that now has accrued wisdom is. Reevaluating everything I'm doing and going, okay, is this, is this priority the right thing? And uh, do it, or do I need to make changes? So.
0: Yeah, you're making me think about the word discipline. I think a lot of people, including myself, associate discipline with doing hard things, mm-hmm. but it's doing what we want to do. What we, I mean, what we want to do when we're calm, not when we're distracted. It's not hard. And if we believe it's hard, well, that alone may be enough to make it hard. Yep. That belief. Yep. It's really knowing our values and living by them. And with enough practice, like anything, it becomes easy. Oh. Discipline isn't, yeah. People like Josh are so disciplined. I'm like, I'm not disciplined. They say because I do all the burpees, that means that I'm disciplined, mm-hmm. which to me is like saying Arnold Schwarzenegger goes to the gym because he's so strong. Yeah. And it's too bad there are pictures of him. I don't know if there are pictures of him as a scrawny guy before he started going to the gym because he was.
1: Yeah. I guarantee he wasn't born like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Discipline is, I like to, it's almost synonymous with training. And, and when you have that mindset, I think it's helpful. Like in terms of your d- disciplining yourself is the same as training yourself in a direction. Mm-hmm. You are, yeah. and, and, and training has both punitive connotations. In other words, in, I think of when I was in cross country, some uh, in college training looked like running 12 to 15 miles. That, that was n- not always pleasant, especially on the hottest days. I can think of some days where I just went, like when you're doing 60, 70 mile weeks of running, th- that was brutal. But there's also formative aspects to training too. Like I think, for example, eating the right foods when I was running. Like where well, there's a really, an, actually I enjoyed them. I enjoyed making sure I'm putting the right things in, in my body. I didn't find that to be difficult to eat or to drink water when I, but that was part of it. So I think that there's both, when you understand discipline or training to have both formative and even some more punitive or, or more challenging aspects to it, I guess you could say. I think it makes it gives a whole or a more full picture of what's going on when you're trying to grow in these areas. I'm going to take a big step back. And the
0: the origin of our conversation began with, um, I guess, Jonathan Hardesty putting us in touch. Mm-hmm. And the motivation on my part, and I think I'm not aware of this Elsewhere in people who describe themselves as environmentalists, which is not really a label that I I give myself. But I think a lot of people would say, oh, Christians, evangelicals, they're problematic. You know, they're the opponent. They're the ones who got to beat. And I, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Like, I I think that attitude is, is, uh, it creates the resistance that they, and, and it's, it's not teamwork. And, you know, now that I'm using teamwork more. Now I believe that what I'm bringing, I believe I have something to bring that I'm not evangelical. I don't go to church, but nonetheless, I think there's, I bring something that is valuable to this community, especially at a time when the earth is, it seems to me, lowering its ability to sustain life, human and otherwise. And is this, I think from your emails, I've gleaned that what it brought is something different than
1: most environmental spring. Yeah, this is a, a good question. I think what, what I've enjoyed... From these conversations is it's kind of like similar to that think of like the Joe Rogan experience podcast and how wildly popular it is, right? One of the reasons that I think people like him, even who completely disagree with him, is that he actually gives time to talk through things to his people. And I think that's kind of what, what you've allowed like a lot of times um, we make assumptions about people and what they believe. And we don't have conversations with them. Instead, what we do is we go in with all of our assumptions and what we would expect them to believe, and then we shut down the conversation. And uh, I think what you've, you've given in this is just a freedom to have a conversation. And we don't fully agree on everything. And uh, we're going to have wild disagreements down the road, I would imagine. But that doesn't take away the uh, fact that we can actually communicate. About these things, and so I think that that's really the strength of this is that you have a willingness to to listen, and I have a willingness to listen to you and hear that instead of you know making mic drop comments, we talked about this before, right? Instead of looking to end the conversation, I think we're extending to each other, like okay, well let's let's keep conversing, let's talk and find and find common ground because you know one of the things that sticks out as we've talked more is there's a lot of there's a lot of agreement on life principles in general, about how to make sense of things, which I think is encouraging. And we're sharing the earth together. I mean, that's
0: not going away. No. It's, you're talking about if everyone's a leader, then no one's a leader. To me, there, a lot of people use leadership to describe what I would call citizenship. Yeah. Uh, in, in, a, in a secular, in a, in a civil context. Yeah. I mean, we're not neighbors in the sense that you're talking about earlier of, mm-hmm. like we're not right around each other. We're not, we haven't met in person yet.
1: But we're neighbors on this earth, and we're yeah. and we've made contact through this means, which I, I think opens up that that uh, that category. And as I mentioned already, when I talked about getting rid of the smartphone, I believe you're an image bearer. You know what? I you don't you might not necessarily believe that, but I believe that you're made in the image of God. I believe that there is an Almighty Creator who has knit you together in your mother's womb, brought you into this world, and has given you a sacredness because He's created you, and so when I engage with you, that's a foundational principle that requires of me because of my understanding of other humans, a, a respect and um, a dignity in the conversation that I have with them.
0: I am beautiful
1: <laughs> in every single way. <laughs> yeah. to learn that because I do believe that you're, I, I do believe that we're fallen. <laughs> uh, and And then we have to, you know, have conversations of redemption and what that looks like in our world. But, Foundationally, in these conversations, that's what's that's what's at play. So,
0: is this message that I'm bringing, and, and the conversations that I have, is this? I think there's latent welcoming that people who are who would hear Al Gore and say, stop telling me what to do," or would see Greta and say, stop telling me what to do." Mm-hmm. But this might be something that they might want to hear and listen to and and participate
1: in. Am I overestimating myself? I would say yes and no. So first, we can't mitigate the actual foundational differences in that I don't have the interpretation of the data that you have in the sense where I see that the earth at threat right now, which will lead to some, you know, if, and if we disagree on those things, that will lead to different implementations that really it's hard to work through at some point. So eventually you're going to hit a wall, right? We're going to hit something where it's like, I, we can't go beyond that. But I do think if you don't come in treating other people like you know knuckle dragon Neanderthals that don't that haven't ever thought about anything, it does open it up to where at root I believe most most human beings just want want to be understood. And if you show them that you can talk with them, like and this comes up in, in academics all the time. I, I'm working on my PhD, and I have to constantly interact with people I disagree with as part of that process, right? And one of my goals is to never set up a straw man. I always want to set up what is called a steel man. I, you know I want to steal man of the position to such a point where person where I'm putting them forward in such a way where the, I might, I'm, my goal is at times to even argue their case better than that they would argue it and then show the criticism because then I believe I've actually earned the right to cr- criticize it. And so I think if you're willing to have these conversations with me and hear what I'm saying and, and, and vice versa in these conversations on sustainability, and environmentalism, then I do believe we actually are gaining credibility. In the ability to speak into each other's lives, so I think even just a couple conversations, and we're rather comfortable having these these discussions. And yeah, sure, eventually if we if we kept talking, I'm sure we hit things. We'd be like, no, I just completely disagree with that. But it doesn't mean we go, oh well, then I guess we're done talking, and there's nothing to have here. Like we've actually established enough rapport where I think basic friendship and respect can be had in our conversations, regardless. Well, partly
0: because it's over an hour, I'm gonna let's wrap it here. Yeah. And it sounds like we'll have more conversations, both recorded and unrecorded. Uh, you're certainly invited back. Yeah. Especially if you find that the phone experience leads to more and you care to share about those things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but also just whenever you get the chance. Yeah, absolutely. That
1: would be great. Anything to close with for the listeners? I, know, I just encourage yeah, everyone as we, as we think about these things to um, seek to live with wisdom, to evaluate our lives. I, we live in a day where... We want to evaluate other people's lives a lot more than we evaluate our own. And so, so, you know, practice self-examination, think through our own motives and seek to better ourselves. If you want, if we want to actually make a difference in society, we have to be living lives that are actually worthy of when we make critique where other people don't just dismiss us because we have a million, you know, skeletons in our own closet. So I would encourage people to better, you know, improve yourself, look look within find, you know, thinking through those ways and seek to, to grow in wisdom in those ways. And as a Christian, I'm going to say, you need to have Christ for that. Ultimately, if you're really going to have systemic change. Uh, but even apart, like having these conversations with people and not just, not just looking at, at them as the problem is going to be um, a crucial step forward. So
0: Michael Carlino, thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.